Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. I thank you so much for joining us here on the program as uh, we come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We are streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry. You know, I, say, I always seem to take a deep breath when I have to give that out because there's a long list. But I also thank those who have been reposting our interviews to expand our reach, to reach more people, uh, to hopefully get people to understand that, yes, we are trying to change the world one person at a time, one idea at a time, one concept, one paradigm at a time or parts thereof, so that we can make this a better world for all people, not just a select few. And uh, I believe, uh, I don't believe in a utopia necessarily, but I do believe it's possible. And my guest is uh, one of those who also believes this to uh, to the extent that we're going to converse with him today. We also want to remind you that we will be giving you our guest's website as well in just a couple of moments so that you can uh, do more research and investigation and uh, continue your evolutionary process. If you like what we're doing and it resonates with you, please Support us if you can financially. Uh, we have PayPal and Patreon accounts for your security as well as ours. And we uh, also want you to participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. So please get involved. Go within. Spend that time, that quality time. That is the real quality time. Nothing wrong with community and relationships, which is part of what we're going to talk about today. But the one relationship I think that is the most important is the one you have with yourself. Getting to know you. I know some people say, no, actually your best first relationship is with God. Well, you can kind of do that through that process of going within. Listening to that still, small voice of inspiration, encouragement, uh, upliftment, if you will, as well as being quiet and just enjoying nature, if you can find that space. So please take the time to do that. We also ask you to take the time to spend with us and Dr. Stuart Shanker. He is uh, going to share with us about his latest work, The Reframed that's the title of the book, Reframed. It is Self-Reg for a Just Society. And, Doctor, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. It's great to have you with us. I'm very excited about this conversation today. Uh, i got to tell you, uh, I love doing an interview with somebody who quotes the prophet Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell me, what, pro what quote was that having to do with going within and listening to this yeah, still small voice? Yeah, it's Elijah who, after his great conflict, hears the still small voice within himself. Yeah, and the still small voice, of course, is constantly saying, I am that I am. Yes. And that also goes that's, to the New right. Testament that uh, speaks to the question of perfection, what is to be perfect. And Jesus said uh, to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that doesn't mean being good or being right or any of those things. It just means to be, to yes. be. And we want people to learn how to do that. And I think through your book, the work that we're going to talk about today, I think we're going to touch upon that. Um, first of all, um, <clears throat> what are you and normally a lot of interviewers will sit here and they'll read the laundry list <laughs> of all the wonderful things. They'll read your resume and some people say, well, you know, resume so long by the time I finish the show's over. So give us a little synopsis about the doctor part of Stuart Shanker. Well, I was, I'm a Canadian boy, and I was sent off to Oxford, um, where I lived for 10 years. And I worked on something there called self-regulation. Uh, and what I was looking at were mechanical systems, uh, self-regulating systems like uh, a computer. And when I came back to Canada, uh, somebody had seen that I'd written this stuff about self-regulation uh, in terms of how the body is a self-regulating mechanism. Uh, and they asked me if I could um, do some, uh, you know, apply some of this to a real problem that we were seeing with kids in Canada. And what we were seeing was just an explosion, an absolute explosion of mental health problems. And from there, I haven't looked back. And uh, all the work we do now is geared towards everything you said in your intro. That's what, that's what we're all about. Mm. 
Well, and of course, I would venture that uh, there must be some new studies that have been going on since for us here in the States since uh, February and March of 2020. Uh, with not just adults, obviously, with the young people as well, dealing with this whole scenario of being isolated, yeah. self-isolated, hopefully, and all of these things. Uh, and then, of course, um, and I've said this, uh, and I don't say this necessarily facetiously, but as much as I love living in the United States and um, really enjoy the the democracy that we enjoy here in the States, Part of me feels as if democracy is what's going to kill us in regards to this virus uh, because you have that dichotomy. I don't know about Canada's yeah. constitution and founding fathers and so forth, but um, here in this country with the documents that we supposedly hold near and dear and live by, uh, there are two almost seemingly diametrically opposed concepts, and one of them is promoting the general welfare and securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. The other is the First Amendment to the Constitution, which gives us the right to do what we want, when we want, where we want, how we want, to, you know, to that extent. And those uh, seem to be very difficult for people to, to grapple with. I have the constitutional right not to wear a mask, not to wash my hands, and not to stay six feet away from you. Uh, and it's like, okay, then you you have basically signed our death sentence because you're unwilling to consider the community at large uh, because um, uh, because of that. And again, I'm not sitting here saying that people should give up. I've not. I wear a mask. I wash my hands. I stay six feet apart. And I didn't give up my First Amendment rights. I'm exercising them. Big difference. But all of that starts to play on our mental health, mental, emotional, and spiritual health, as well as physical health. Can we talk a little bit about that aspect of it? And then we're going to jump into this whole aspect of uh, self-regulating or um, uh you know, the, 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 the aspects of, of your book uh, that I think people need to, uh, to, to get in touch with, and that is Reframed Self-Reg for a Just Society. Talk to us a little bit about this. So, man, you said an awful lot there, right? Um, so let me start off by telling you something really interesting. Uh, when I was a young boy growing up in Canada, we read American history before we read Canadian history. Really? Yes. Wow. Can America for us, I knew I knew the Declaration of Independence by heart long before I started reading about the Canadian Constitution. Um, America for us represented this extraordinary experiment exactly the way you described it of, you know, allowing for these conflicts uh, that are inevitable in a democracy. But we are seeing something uh, around the world today, uh, not just in the U.S., and it's a sort of what we call an epidemic of polarization. And for me, just this morning, I was rereading uh, Ronald Reagan's incredible uh, 1987 West Berlin speech where mm. he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. And here we are where our slogan today is build a wall. Um, and what Reagan spoke to was the primacy of truth, freedom, and faith. And these are the three values that we risk when we go so extremely polarized. Now, what I wanted to mention was this is happening around the world. Yeah. Polarization is. And so what's going on? Why, why has this happened uh, uh, why has this happened since the fall of the Berlin Wall? And uh, the reasons are complex, but one of the primary goals of that book you just mentioned, Reframed, Suffering for a Just Society, is to begin to tear down the walls that we have, to begin to um, potentiate the extraordinary potential of every individual, but also for a person like me of American society. I am a deep believer in America. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we're after here is um, it's, you know, I don't want to spend too much time. Why did this happen? I want to, I really want to focus on where do we go from here? How do yes. we how do we deal with all yes, this? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's no point in in, in why did this happen? It it's here. Uh, yes, and 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 people who are uh, you know sort of fighting the process and complaining and moaning and groaning. What I find interesting is, and this is one of the reasons why I've done my utmost not to get myself mentally and emotionally uh, transfixed by the polarization and that's not to say that i don't have some what i consider very logical arguments you know uh when when conversing about these things yeah but i want to spend my time and my energies doing what i'm doing here with you uh, and that is sharing these ideas so that we come up with some solutions uh we want what we present on this program doctor is choices and knowledge of those choices to help make our dreams, all of our dreams come true. I believe it's possible for all 8 billion of us to achieve that in whatever fashion we want. And I will tell you that we were watching, um, we were watching a, uh, a news story, I think it was, documentary, what have you, um, in, in Nepal, that was going on in Nepal. I've, and, and this is, this is actually indicative not just of uh, Southeast Asia and, and these other parts of the world, Africa in particular, where you see these levels of what we perceive, what we judge as impoverished areas, okay? And yet the people yeah. are wearing the most vibrant colors. Yeah. They, and, and they seem to be yeah. very happy individuals if, if they're only making... As we again, as we judge yeah. the system and the economics, uh, they're making a dollar a day or a dollar a week or a dollar a month. Doesn't seem to phase them if that's yeah. the way, or or even in the Amazon jungle, we come across uh, indigenous uh, peoples, tribes. They don't have any of the 20th century trappings. Okay. Yeah. And yet they're living their lives and enjoying and raising their families and teaching their children to grow up to be, if you will, productive members of society and so forth, which is really where we want to go next here on this program with you, doctor. And that is let the peoples of the world who are living their lives and enjoying what they're doing and quite honestly if it's my correct observation, thriving. And here we are in developed countries and we're just surviving, living from paycheck to paycheck, stressing over, are we going to have enough food on the table? Am I going to be able to pay the the building costs for rent or mortgage? Am I going to be able to put gas in the vehicle? Can I even pay for the vehicle? And the list goes on. And we consider ourselves progressive and there's something missing, and that's what you're talking about in Reframed. So yes. let's start from the beginning. How did you come to the awareness that we needed to be reframed, and especially going into this direction of social justice? Uh, well, the answer is, um, uh, it's kind of a common answer. I had great teachers. That's always okay. good. I did yep. too. And I grew up in the 70s where the schools, public school, which is what I went to, was criticized like you would not believe. But I had some wonderful teachers. Tell us about some of the teachers and some of the lessons that that have been that were indelible and that that have stayed with you to this day. One of the very first lectures I had by a famous physiologist at Oxford was he he wrote on the board, what is stress? And so I thought, oh, that's an easy question. Uh, so I, you know, like everybody else, I wrote down a couple of answers and I said, uh, well, you know, it's the pressures of money and time. And really what I was describing were, you know, the kind of popular culture uh, understanding of this concept. And then he took us through the history of the concept of stress and it just blew me away. And ever since then, I was hooked. Basically, Uh, The concept of stress developed at the beginning of the 20th century by an American physiologist, a guy called Walter Bradford Cannon. 
And what he was interested in were physical stresses. So the stress of wind on an airplane wing, the stress of, uh, the, stress of the ground moving on a concrete building. So a stress in his definition was anything that requires the brain to burn energy so that we can keep functioning. Mm. What we start, so it's a, good, it's a good way to start. What we started to look at in my own work were five domains of stress. What are physical stresses? So for example, cold weather is a physical stress. Mm -hmm. The brain has to keep a, an internal body temperature of 98.6. So to do that, if it's cold outside, it has to burn energy. It burns glucose. We looked at emotional stress, social stress, cognitive stress. These are all big domains. And then we started to look at self-regulation. Self-regulation in the way that Cannon himself understood it. Self-regulation, all it means is how you deal with stress, how you manage stress. And what we discovered in our own work, in our, we had a research institute, which was a, a, brain, a brain institute on one side and a clinical institute on the other. And what we discovered was that kids often develop what we call maladaptive ways of dealing with stress. Hmm. So do you want me to give an example of that? Please, please do, yes. Okay, so kids really stressed. Say we're looking at a teenager. He's really stressed. He's got emotional stresses or social stresses. And to deal with his stress, what he does is he comes in and he flicks on his social media or, or video game, and he'll spend six, eight hours on that so he doesn't have to deal with his stress. So it's maladaptive because when he finally turns it off, or more likely when mom and dad say that it's got to go off now, <laughs> he's in an even worse shape, is even more stressed than he was when he first went on. That's maladaptive. It's when we deal with a stress by avoidance, or denial, uh, <laughs> and it creates more stress as a result. Mm. So what we look at, what all our work is about is how can we shift kids at all ages, starting from around the age of three up until around the age of 24, how can we shift them from maladaptive to growth-promoting ways of dealing with stress? Mm. Then we made, then we made I'll, I'll just say one last thing and then I'll pause. Then we made one big discovery, and it's where you started. We can't do this work unless we start with mom and dad, unless we start with the teacher. They're overstressed. We're all overstressed. One of the big differences I saw, I've done a lot of travel around the world in earlier work, and I saw exactly what you described in Nepal. I saw joyousness that I didn't see when I came home. And what I saw when I came home were levels of stress, hidden stress, stresses that we didn't recognize that were making us miserable. Yeah, and it's interesting how we have been hearing this, obviously the word stress and all of that, anxiety, depression, blah, 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 especially during this period we've been going through. I have yeah. sort of euphemistically referred to it as the COVID era, yeah. um, you know. Uh, which yeah. eras come and they go. So this will yeah. this will go. This will pass. Yep. And yep. whether we go back to quote unquote normal, or we go back to the other overused phrase, a new normal. Um, the one of the things that I was thrilled about back in January and early February when they started to make the decisions to shut things down was. Thank God they're going to do something different this time. Because every year as a kid growing up and into my adulthood, when the influenza would roll around, I kept saying, shut the airlines down for, for two weeks yep. and, and, and it'll be over. And we won't lose the level of productivity that we lose every time the influenza yeah. rolls through this country or any other yeah. country for that matter. Yeah. And so this time I said, okay, it may not be easy to do, but the reality is, using Einstein's phrase that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting yeah. a different result, this time we're doing something different, which absolutely positively means two things. Number one, that when we come out the other side, we're going to get a different result. Whether we like it or not, it's a whole other issue, but it's going to be different. 
And number two, that also thrilled me. And I had no clue that it was going to affect me in the way that it did. There would be opportunities that we didn't even know yeah. in January and February that were going to pop up for people across this country yeah. that were going to change their lives, not just be, not just the virus, but the opportunities that will come up because of it or maybe in yeah. spite of it. Yeah. I was never interested in doing video. Never. Radio to me is instant- it's instantaneous. Yeah. Okay, it's instantaneous. I can jump in front of the console. I can interview you over the phone, and it's recorded. And boom, I can put it on the air, or we can do it live. Yeah. With yeah. video, I've got to set things up. I got to make sure my background is good. I have to make sure your audio and my audio are good, and all of those things before we can even get started. Yeah. And there's that delay in my mind. You know, it just slows things down. Yeah. I'm editing video now. Yeah. And now our programs are not just on the, the pod, uh, podcast locations, but we're on YouTube. Yeah, it's great. This is going to be viewed by people all over the place. So now there's yeah. that one. So those were the two things that really struck me, that, it, that enthused me, that excited me, in spite of all of the, the negative energy coming from the TV, the radio, the newspapers, and other people about and complaining about what was happening rather than stopping. And again, I understand about the grieving process. Everybody grieves differently and it takes as long as it takes. But I would try to tell people, try to look for the opportunities. This, our lives are not over, hopefully, you know, yep. and hopefully we don't catch this virus. And if we do, hopefully we don't die from it. And, you know, as, as this, <laughs> I, had, I received this poem that is, I have on a poster in my home when I was 21. Uh, and it, it was a poem called Why Worry? And it goes through all of the different phases of, you know, why worry? You know, you're either going to stay healthy or you're going to get sick. And if you stay healthy, you have nothing to worry about. But if you get, get, get sick, you only have two things to worry about. You're either going to get better or you're going to get worse. And if you get better, nothing to worry about. If you get worse, you only have two things to worry about. You're either going to live or you're going to die. <laughs> And if you live, you're not going to have anything to worry about. But if you die, you only have two yeah. things to worry about. Um, you know, whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. And uh, if you go to heaven, you don't have anything to worry about. If you go to hell, you're going to be too busy shaking hands with friends <laughs> to worry. Uh, <laughs> so so that I, that, I, I, I kind of took that in. Um, let's talk about this whole aspect of self-reg. And, and uh, you have an organization as well. Um, uh, and it's, it's actually tied to Self-Reg Global, which is your website. Um, and, and you have uh, several different books in this genre. Self-Reg Schools, which is a, a handbook for educators. And you also have one called Calm, Alert, and Learning. And, I would all, and then there's another one here. It looks like Self-Reg. Um, and there's one other thing I wanted to add. And I want you to dovetail off of this and jump into this whole aspect of uh, this self-regulating for a just society. I have believed every time I hear the, the phrases coming from the news about our education system and the specific districts and so forth, we need yeah. to throw more money at it. If we don't, we're going to have to cut a lot of the elective courses. And I have been advocating that if you have to cut anything... Cut the basics. Don't cut the electives. Because, and I was sharing this with someone, and they, they were dovetailing off of my comment. They said, you're absolutely right. Because if you keep music, you're going to learn not That's only great. about math, yeah. eighth notes, quarter notes, half notes, etc. You're going to learn about English, syntax, poetry, etc., you're also going to learn, people would find this hard to believe, about chemistry. How was that baritone made? Who designed the violin, the oboe, the cello, the drums? And the list goes on. You're going to learn about history because you're going to learn about the history of those instruments. And that's just the beginning. Physical education, running, jumping, basketball, sports, uh, all of that. You're going to be getting... and. Guess what? What isn't it said too, doctor, that children learn best something if it's put into a practical application? I mean, haven't we heard this many times? When yeah. am I ever going to use trigonometry? 
<laughs> you know. So let's talk a little bit about the whole educational process of self-regulating. Well, uh, we created another organization called the Merit Center uh, back in 2006. And the very first decision that we made was uh, uh, this was going to be bringing self-reg into the school system. But we turned down the opportunity to have this government funded. Um, the problem when it becomes a, a, a large state organized uh, you know, institution or program mm -hmm. is you lose all the flexibility that you're talking about. So our idea was, um, you know, let's just do this in a small way. We started it off in BC, British Columbia. Let's just do a small thing where I'll talk to 50 people, 50 teachers. Uh, the invite went out on social media. Um, and I'll just talk about self-regulation in the school system. And I got a desperate phone call from the uh, uh, assist, uh, uh, we, we have deputy ministers up here. Uh, so the ADM called me and he said, we got a problem. Uh, we, we got a couple hundred people who want to come to this thing. Is it okay with you if we change venue? I said, sure, I don't care. Well, eventually we had to move it to a theater and we closed it off to a thousand. Uh, because that, that was the limit. And since then, it exploded across the country. Uh, so it's all over up here in Canada. And the reason we set, set up Self-Reg Global is because of uh, international interest. And here's the key. Anywhere we go, they have to fund this themselves. We don't take any money for it except to pay for our staff. Um, and what we teach them are five steps and the first one is kind of the most important and that is you've got to learn the difference between misbehavior and stress behavior mm. yeah it's a big one mm -hmm. now we've had a revolution in neuroscience over the last 30 years where we've finally been able to look at what's going on in the deeper parts of the brain which are the kind of stress response systems and what we've learned is that there's a big difference between Johnny, who's really trying to test limits, and Johnny, who is overstressed and failing because of it. But the more important part is when we recognize this, when we recognize that the kid's problem is stress behavior, then we have the next four steps. We're going to figure out, okay, well, what are the stresses? We become stress detectives. And we look at all five levels of stress, what we find is this poor little guy has a stress load that, and here's the big, big discovery that we made in neuroscience, shuts down the parts of the brain that he needs to learn, the parts of the brain that he needs to feel empathy towards another human being, even the parts of the brain that he needs to be aware of what's going on inside himself. So that leads us to our third step. Third step is, okay, how can we reduce these stresses? So in our research institute, what we did was, uh, the only kids that we had were kids that were seriously overstressed. And because of that, they were having a lot of trouble either getting language or solving problems. So what we did was we tried to figure out what are the stresses? Um, what, what can we reduce? There are certain stresses you can't. There are certain stresses we need in life. And we made a huge discovery. And the discovery we made was, and I want to tie it to what I said at the beginning. I told you that we're trying to shift them from maladaptive to growth-promoting modes of self-regulation. So the brain has a number of ways of dealing with overstress. But the best way, the most growth-promoting way is called social engagement. It's when we go to mom and dad, when we go to our teachers, or when they're older, when they're teens, when they go to a friend to help them deal with the stress. What we found was in these kids that were really struggling, they never went to social engagement. They went to fight or flight. They went to the video game, some way of trying to avoid the stress, whereas mom and dad or a teacher are going to help you work your way through it. So that led us to the fourth step. Okay, you guys got to learn something that you don't know. And that is what it feels like to be calm. 
we see it, we're seeing a generation of children and teens that really don't know what calmness feels like. And if they don't know what calm, calmness feels like, then they don't know what it feels like when they're getting overstressed. And that leads us to the fifth step. Now that you kind of know that you're what 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 you need to do to feel calm, let's figure out what sent you into that bad place in the first step in, in the first place, and let's change what we do in life. Those are the five steps of stuff, right? Mm. Well, <clears throat> and certainly uh, in this COVID era, we certainly can use all of the uh, de-stressing uh, that is there, and that's why we've been promoting, and actually we've been promoting. Uh, going within uh, the, uh, we started with 2020, the year of perfect vision, but I've been promoting it since September of 2019. Interesting. Because I, I, I saw 2020 coming. And as a kid growing up, I, I loved the fact that I was born in 1960, which was a uh, multiple of 10. And it was easy to keep track of how old I was by <laughs> that fact. And I thought, wow, you know what? In 2020, which I don't have that vision, uh, I'll be 60 years old. That'll be kind of cool, you know. And 2020, obviously, is considered to be perfect vision. Uh, and so we started promoting it and uh, not talking about outer vision, you know, because not everybody's going to have 2020 outer vision. Uh, when I was a kid, that's uh, just great. I was legally blind and uh, uh, grew up uh, with 2200. I could see at 20 feet what most people could see at 200 in my right eye. And then when I was 36, got a lens implant, and I was 2050, 2040 with the corrective lenses. Uh, I can see at 40 and 50 feet, what most people can see at 20, and now I'm driving. Wonderful. But the big kicker is, what if you start turning that vision inward yeah. towards yourself? Now, we've talked about this before, that it can be potentially a rather scary thing. To get to know yourself. I mean, the real you, not the roles that we play. You know, you're Dr. Stuart yeah. Shanker. All right. But that's a role. That's a mask yeah. that you put on, um, you know, and and it, it almost comes to the point of, um, you know, well, who is the real me? You know, how, how do I find out? And do I really want to? Because I've had some pretty weird stuff. I'll use that term. Uh, traumatic is another stuff go on in my life from childhood and everyone everybody yeah. can probably say this i don't know that i want to do that and i myself uh doctor i have been through a lot of personal growth and development programs in the 80s and 90s when i was in my 20s and 30s and and i was very happy i went through them because it did show me a lot about who i was uh, i think one of the most interesting things that epitomizes that is when my first wife and i uh when we divorced and I went on to live my life. She says, well, you know that if you don't deal with that particular issue that you've got a problem with, you're just going to carry it into the next relationship. Well, I did deal with it and I didn't carry it into the next relationship. Yeah. So uh, that's what we that's are great. encouraging people to do is is deal with who they are, because it's all of what we are, the light and the dark side, the shadow side, as they talk about how do you address that aspect of a person when um, sort of reframing all of this in the, into self-regulation uh, for the individual? And we'll get into the community here in a moment. But again, how do you encourage someone to um, be willing? How do you encourage them to be willing to to do that kind of work? Is there a way or do they just have to come to it on their own? Um, so this is getting pretty profound, right? Um, and really you're addressing uh, the heart of self-reg. So let's go back to that example I gave you of that teenager mm -hmm. who he's got, he, he's got this terrible stress and he has a maladaptive response where he doesn't have to deal with it. But the one thing we know is he needs to deal with it, or she needs to deal with it, um, and that's scary. Yeah, and that's and and it's it's hard to do. But here's a secret about humanity that we really are starting to trans. It's transforming how we look at how we function. Uh, we are all all human beings are born premature, not just preemies, but everyone. We're born around four to six months premature. 
Really? Yeah. yeah. So nine called, months nine months isn't the natural? No, it's called secondary altriciality. Wow. And, and the reason is that at the moment of birth, there's just an explosion of brain growth. It's called synaptogenesis. The brain starts forming synapses, 700 new synapses every single second. So it's an unbelievable. So the idea looks like we were born basically four or six months early because if the brain continued to grow in utero, it would be almost impossible for this big head to pass through the cervix. Mm. So the explosion in brain growth occurs postnatally, but there's a mechanism that takes care of the fetus. We call it the fetus outside the womb. Inside the womb, the fetus is, is joined to the mom by the umbilical cord. Outside the womb, what takes, if we're talking about a fetus outside the womb, what takes the place of the umbilicus? And the answer is something called the interbrain. And the interbrain is like a wireless Bluetooth connection between the caregiver's brain and the baby's brain. It's a it's a an intimate hookup. So it's not just that the caregiver is reading what's going on inside her baby, she's feeling it. And likewise, the baby is communing with the caregiver. This connection, this interbrain, is between what I described before is the deep part of the brain. It's called the limbic system. It's a limbic system to limbic system connection that enables the this part of the brain, the thinking part, the speaking part, to grow. Mm-hmm. The cool part in all this is that interbrain remains fundamental for our well-being throughout our life, our, our entire lifespan. So what we have found is, for example, in work done with the elderly, when they are isolated, when they have no interbrain, they have all kinds of mental and physical problems. When we reestablish an interbrain connection in their lives, those medical and physical problems drop dramatic, decline dramatically. So you ask the question at the beginning, how does how do we work with say a teenager who's got to a teenager who's got to confront really really hard problems emotionally hard problems and that's where the interbrain is vital mm. now so you what, if i may sorry, ahead. you mentioned the caregiver yes that is exclusively the mother or no. because we have uh, I, I my fir- my ex-mother-in-law was yeah. a neonatal intensive care nurse yep and de- and worked there for many decades yep uh, and it was it was very interesting to hear the work that she she does and so forth uh, so uh, okay so it is not exclusively the mother it could be whoever is caring for the infant and I'll take it a step further that's a huge point. And I'll go a step further. That kid is going to have interbrain relationships, connections, his whole life growing up. It's, he's going to have an interbrain connection with his teacher, with his coach, with his music instructor. These interbrains are a fundamental aspect of dealing with stress, especially stress that's too great for him to handle on his own. So now we'll take that teenager who's really, you know, he's worried about, um, you know, he, is he attractive? Is he, does he have any worth? Uh, how did you start us off today? Who am I? Who am I? Um, all of these existential problems. And for some teens, it's too much on their own. They need that interbrain. Now, who that interbrain may be, it, it, could, be, it could be an adult. It could be mom and dad. It could be a friend. But they can't, but it's too much on their own. Where we see problems like what you mentioned, problems with anxiety, invariably these are kids who feel isolated, socially and emotionally isolated. And so what we do when we work with them is reestablish some sort of relationship that they can turn to. So 
Uh, does this work? Yes. Does it always work? Yes. Is it easy to do? Never. Now, you talk about this Bluetooth connection to the internet. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, is this, does this have anything to do with our spiritual connection? I use the example from Star Trek of the Borg. Yeah. All right. They're individuals, but they're all hardwired to communicate with one another. But each one of them has a different task towards the collective overall goal, whatever that happens to be. And so that's why I look at what you and, for example, you and I, we're individuals. Uh, and yet we're doing our individual work towards, as we sort of have sort of come to an agreement here, is towards the same goal, making life better for everyone. Your method is your method. Mine is mine. But it's still part of the big picture in that regard. Is there some kind, is that, is that something that's been researched or if it, even if it can be yep. in, in that regard? Is it, and is it even scientifically measurable? Yep, 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 yep. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we have, uh, I didn't I didn't know how much uh, neuroscience to do today, but we have a brand new concept. Okay. And it's called neuroception, neuroception. So we distinguish between levels in the brain, the upper level, where which is the level that we use for perception, and this lower level that I'm talking about, this limbic system, where which is the level of neuroception. The limbic system is constantly scanning every in every human being. Are you a source of safety? Are you a source of threat? Mm. And it does this. Uh, it does this without our even knowing that we're doing it. So you can meet somebody. Like the moment I saw you, I liked you. Uh, there's something about your face that makes. Uh, I hope everybody else is looking at you now. It's a face <laughs> that inspires trust. Ah. There are other faces that make that make, you know, your limbic system says, oh, my goodness, you know, be careful. Let's take this back to where you started us today with the polarization of your society. What happens when you get really polarized is the two sides do not trust each other. They do not they they do not feel safe with each other. And those are the messages that they're sending. The, send, the message is, I don't trust you because you're not one of us. I want to relate this. Uh, since you started us off with the Psalms, let me relate it instead to the book of Exodus. Okay. So in Exodus, um, you've got these, this group of you know, 600,000 Israelites, and we're told that they are incredibly fractious, this burdensome, bothersome people. Yet somehow at Mount Sinai, they speak with one voice. They speak with unity. And there's that famous line. I can't remember the, the number now. I think it's 24-7. But they say, we will do and we will listen. That word listen is the main theme of Deuteronomy. It gets repeated 92 times in Deuteronomy. If you have a polarized society... It's a society where the two sides cannot listen to each other, and they don't listen because they're, they don't trust each other. So as we move forward, what we have to do is we have to figure out, how can I start to listen, even when, even when we disagree, mm -hmm. even when I think you're wrong? Nevertheless, I love what you just said a second ago. Even though I think you're wrong, I know that you have the same hopes and desires and dreams that I have for my children to be safe, for my society to be safe. That's where we have to go next. That's the common ground we need to start with. That's know? the common ground, yeah. Because uh, I have said, I've made this phrase a couple of times also, and, and of course I'm not sure, I know it's from the, uh, from the Bible, but basically it, the, the phrase is that a house divided against itself yeah. not only cannot, it will not stand. Perfect. Uh, and, and that's just, uh, just short and simple. Perfect. But one of the other aspects, the quote that you also had there, uh, we will do and we will listen. And I would reverse yeah. that when it comes to listening to the still small voice. And I've, I've yeah, said that, this. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And I've said this facetiously again because I don't want to put this on anybody. I don't want to make people feel a particular way. I don't want to pass judgment. But I, I say this tongue in cheek. Uh, 
if you're going to listen, but you're not going to follow the promptings, then why are you listening? What's the point? So, but one of the the things that I thought was real interesting, and you've really alluded to this already here, and that is this whole aspect of listening. Uh, And I know that mediators do this a lot. The first thing they are going to do once they've determined the differences is they will work on finding similarities amongst the parties they're mediating. So at least they can start from a common ground. And in this case, in this case, as you very well stated, we just want, we want a better world for all of us. And bear in mind, when I say that, and I say this uh, to people all the time, I'm not saying that where we are is bad. This is a marvelous, incredible, beautiful place to live. I live in Santa Barbara. You live in Canada. Uh, I've lived in Phoenix. It's not what it used to be anymore, so it's not really my hometown. I just I don't like going there because it looks so drab. But then again, it is a desert. Uh, I've been to Ireland where my wife and I want to live and live there for the rest of our lives, and it looks like there may be that chance that, that uh, we're going to be able to do that. Uh, it's a paradise. But the whole planet is, is an incredible place, and the things that we have accomplished— technologically in particular, uh, are just beyond belief. Um, But that doesn't mean that we have to maintain the status quo or static life. You take a pool of water, if it's static for too long, it starts to get murky and, and, and all of this stuff and the mosquitoes and on and on and on. Whereas a dynamic life, a life of thriving, that's what we're talking about here. And I don't want that just for me. Where's the fun in that? I want everybody to thrive. Um, so, So you're absolutely right. We do have the same goals. It's just that we have different ideas of how to get there. And it seems to me also that we need to pin our hopes on ideas, on concepts, not on individuals, even though we've been quoting individuals yeah. left and right on this program. No, no, I agree with you. We need to focus on the the concepts and the ways, you know, I, I love, uh, I was a Baha'i, a member of the Baha'i faith for about a year and a half back in the mid-90s. And one of the beautiful th- aspects of their, their councils of nine is that when they are addressing an issue, when people put ideas out onto the table, those ideas no longer belong to the individual. They belong to the council. That's and, great. And when a decision is made, even if there That's is really a, a majority, uh, and it's a council of nine, like our Supreme Court, so there's always going to be a majority and a minority. But when you become a member of the council, you accept some rules at at the front end. And that is that if you are in the voting minority, when the majority rules, you accept without question the decision. Now, that that does not mean that the decision is is laid in concrete. That's not the way that it's viewed. Uh, I love it. Here's the decision. Let's yep. see how it works. If it doesn't yep. work, we'll come back and we'll revisit. And we'll throw out the ideas again and see where we can go. Yep. But it seems as though in this country in particular, but again, as you stated, this is a global issue. Um, it's as if decisions are made in concrete and uh, that, oh, they can't be reversed. They can't be changed. They can't be modified. They talk, I don't know what founding documents you folks live by, but the Constitution is supposed to be a living, breathing document, which means that it evolves. And we've evolved to 25 or 26 or 27 changes or additions to that document over the 230 uh, years that we've been around, uh, or so, 230, whatever. Um, So it just seems like people have forgotten that it, these documents are not sacrosanct. They're not holy relics, never to be changed. They're, they're, they're living, breathing documents that need to be looked at, and sometimes they do need to be modified, just like we do. We need to move forward and evolve our thinking and our, our thought processes and our beliefs. Um, 
you've talked about this process of self-regulating for social justice. Why? Uh, I mentioned before how um, when an individual is overstressed uh, and they go into something that we call red brain. Red brain is the thinking parts of the brain are uh, sort of shut down and the limbic system, the emotions are running the show. There's another, there's another mechanism that's huge and it's called limbic contagion. So what happens if you've got a crowd and that crowd is overstressed and one person in that crowd gets scared or angry in a flash, the whole crowd becomes scared or angry. Those emotions sweep through the crowd. But now we've got a problem because now we can't do what you just asked for. What you asked for was we need group problem solving. We need consensual politics if we're going to deal with problems like COVID. We have to all be on the same page. We can't afford to have our thinking brains uh, offline. We have to keep the emotions in check or the negative emotions, the anger, the fear, keep them in check so that we can work together. What we see in any polarized society is that negative emotions like fear and anger are running amok, spreading through the group, impairing their ability to get together and solve, to be constructive. What do we do about this? So how do we handle this? We handle it the way we handle the kid. What are the stresses in our society that we can reduce now? What are the ways that we can begin to, uh, instead of accusing the other side of some sort of, you know, immoral or, or being morally adrift, instead we recognize that they're overstressed, we're overstressed, everybody's in red brain. So we got to turn that off. We got to get back into blue brain. So we reduce societal stresses. And I think one of the things that's happened in the U.S. is the societal stresses have been great. They've been very great. And that's why the country became so, so polarized. Mm -hmm. So now what has to happen is the country needs to soothe. And let me give you one example, okay? Um, I was watching when I was writing the book, uh, somebody sent me a copy of Bobby Kennedy's speech, I believe it was in Cincinnati, the night that Martin Luther MLK was killed. So here's this explosive situation where we have riots that are going on around the country. Uh, and now Bobby Kennedy has to be the one to tell the group that Martin Luther King has just been assassinated. And so what he does is he comes out and you can see this, by the way, it's on YouTube. He comes out and he speaks in a very calm and soothing voice. And he begins to appeal to the very values that you just described. And by the end, he has that whole crowd singing Saving Grace, hmm. Amazing Grace. So, so that's where we need to go. Well, we need to, let's calm everything down now so that we can do what you said, move forward. By the way, I think you're dead right. We need new concepts and that's what suffering is about. We're talking with Dr. Stuart Schenker, and we are talking about uh, reframed having to do with uh, self-reg or self-regulating. And I thank you so much for being with us here on the program. This is interesting because I don't think we've ever discussed this in this context before. It's uh, certainly something we've discussed as far as uh, ways of solving problems, but I don't know that there has actually been someone with a, a plan, actual plan to uh, to help people to do this. And, of course, we're not looking at taking anybody's rights away or, or anything oh. of this nature. Uh, it's just it's just so fascinating to me. And, and as, as I use that analogy of the Borg, and I, I often say that I don't know that Roddenberry necessarily considered that uh, concept as far as our spiritual connection, but I'm a firm believer that uh, there is a level of synchronicity, there have been no. television programs and movies that have dealt with this where you'll start out with four separate individual, totally innocuous stories separate from one another. And as the movie progresses or the TV show progresses, these paths of these individuals start to cross and affect the choices that they make and on and on and on. 
And that is the kind of synchronicity. It, I mean, you just never know what's going to happen in any given like, moment, who you're going to meet. Like you and I. Like you and I. Uh, you know, um, you know, it's it's. Uh, you know, we've we've even discussed uh, moving moving up to Canada, uh, you know, in that respect, just because we want to move to cooler climes. You know, Santa Barbara is beautiful oh, uh, as no, it is. I, I have to go with you on Ireland. It's my favorite country around the world, too. <laughs> <laughs> north or south, I love them both. Absolutely. And we've only been as far north as uh, Dublin and actually a little further north of that, uh, the Bowen Valley, where the uh, Newgrange prehistoric sites and mounds are located. But um, uh, one of these days, well, no, I shouldn't say one of these days, soon we're going to be able to travel all over that country, especially going up to Northern Ireland, to Belfast, to the shipyards yeah. where the Titanic was built, uh, historical uh, kinds of things as well. But the people. Yes. It's the people of the yes. different countries that make, make such a difference. And I, yes. again, I go back to that example I gave earlier of the different uh, uh, groups of people around the world and the vibrant colors they wear and the smiles on their faces in spite of the fact that they are living, again, by our reckoning, by our judgment, they are living impoverished lives. They don't have running water. They don't have electricity. Uh, they don't have a lot of stuff that we think they should have. And that's, you know, um, <laughs> there is a part of me that says, where is the prime directive when you need it? If these people are happy and living their lives, leave them alone. They don't need democracy. They don't need free enterprise and capitalism. Uh, you know, they, they don't need the free market. They're doing just fine on their own. Leave them be. And yet there are other countries that continually ask us to leave them alone. Yeah. And we don't. Because they have something we want. And it, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this since I was a kid, uh, doctor. The one commonality is that we all bleed red blood. So that means we're all the same. I don't care what you look like on the outside. You still have red blood when it comes out those holes <laughs> or slashes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is that commonality, that similarity, if you will. Um, we've even gotten into the, the into the discussion. You know, you you said something earlier um, uh, about this the the negative energies and so forth. And yes, and just as a a point of character and personality, let me just uh, throw this in there: that when I started hearing during the 2016 campaign, the kind of dialogue I'll put it that way and verbiage that was being yeah. used. Um, and then, of course, this person makes it into the White House. I'm going, you, I'm a firm believer in karma, okay? Einstein defined it as, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. Well, yeah. guess what? You can't keep putting out the negative energy without there being a repercussion somewhere down the road. And I honestly do believe that that was the 2020 election. And I've got to also believe that a human being, I don't care how healthy they think they are, eventually that kind of stress will take its toll on the physical, yes. mental, and emotional bodies. I agree. So, if we are to move forward as a society... Individuals who are listening right now, what is, aside from getting a copy of your book, Reframed, uh, and going to your website as well, uh, which we want to uh, uh, give as we are talking here, and it is selfregglobal.com. Uh, that's uh, where you can also find the book, but also other information. Aside from all of those great starting points, where would you suggest as individuals, because that's where it has to start, that we begin? You, know, you and I have been talking all day today about um, how we have to become a society where we can listen to each other. But it starts with listening to a child. 
And it's listening to a child in the sense that you have been talking about listening to that still small voice. This is deep listening. How can a child learn how to listen if they have not been listened to? Hmm. So I have made, I've seen now thousands and thousands of children across Canada. I don't know how many thousands. And you know what? I have never once seen a bad kid. That's the message that your listeners have to take home. I've seen kids that are struggling. I've seen kids that are on a trajectory that needs to be changed. But I've never seen a trajectory that cannot be changed. I am more hopeful today than I ever have been. So that's what I want them all to feel. Hopeful for their kids, hopeful for all kids, hopeful for their community, hopeful for their society. Well, and that's good that you have hope. Uh, I do, too. Uh, I know there are a lot of people that um, uh, have divergent views from us who also have hope. And so what we need to do, as you've already very well stated, is we need to start listening. Don't just hear them. Really listen. Yes. And I've heard it said that one of the best ways to uh, the best ways uh, to, um, so to speak, prove that you're listening is to sort of repeat to them. So I hear you saying and repeat it back to them. And if it matches up with what they did say, and I'm not saying word for word here, you put it in your own words, uh, and they agree with you, okay, then guess what? You were really listening. If they say, no, that's not what I'm saying, then okay, then say that. Tell me again, okay? I I realize this is frustrating for you, but tell me again uh, what it is that you want. Um, it's, it's kind of like what I, I went through four phases, uh, with our, our, uh, the outgoing president, uh, back in 2016, I got sucked into the political uh, quagmire, took me six months, as I like to say, to get unsucked. And I started out by saying, teach me, thank you, teacher, for teaching me how not to behave. Phase two was, I forgive you, but more importantly, I forgive myself for allowing myself to get drawn into this mess. Uh, the third phase was, um, what is it that you are so afraid of that makes you behave the way and speak the way that you do? And I'm not asking you to change. I'm asking you to tell me so that I can understand. That's just great. And move on. And now the fourth phase, I love you. You're a human being who deserves to be here just like everybody else. That's incredibly powerful stuff. No judgment. I love you, period. And I I was talking with a woman about bullying in this regard, and she says that's what you say to a bully after they've said or done whatever. You just turn to them because they don't know what to do with that. Yeah. They're they're stymied. Yeah. Um, So that's... that's I love it. I love it. Yeah. Just a great way to end this. Yeah. I want to thank you so much, Dr. Stuart Shanker, for joining us here on the program, sharing with us Reframed. Also, go to self, selfregglobal.com. We encourage folks to go there. We will be linked to your website as well, doctor, so that people can uh, learn more about you and the work that you're doing. And what was the name of that institute once again? The Merit Center, M-E-H-R-I-T. The Merit That's, Center. Uh, that's self-reg.ca. Self-reg.ca. We encourage you to go there, and we also uh, ask you to um, to uh, stay tuned because I have three final questions for you. But before I ask those, I like to share with my listeners uh, that um, I thank them for listening to the program. I do. I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And just remind you that we are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., and uh, Mondays at 1 a.m., and all that is Pacific time. Uh, and we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. And the podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations that you're reposting to. And thank you for doing that. If this program and others resonates with you, resonate with you and you'd like to be a part of what we're doing and you'd like to support us financially, we have PayPal and Patreon accounts for your security as well as ours. And please take the doctor's advice. Uh, no, you don't have to. Ha- don't and Apple's not going to keep him away from this advice to give to you. And that is, go within, go within, spend that time, get to know yourself, and take it slow. 
Okay, because, yeah, it can be a little unnerving sometimes because you're going to come up with some things that you've been holding on to for a long time. But guess what? If you deal with them while doing that process, you're not going to hold on to them any longer and they're not going to bother you. So please spend that time. Find that still, quiet, peaceful, serene place to just relax, rejuvenate, re-energize. I have three final questions, as I said. You may have answered them to some degree during the interview, but I'd like to ask them pointedly. And the first of the three is, who is Stuart Shanker? A father. That's it. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? A better world. And finally... What is your life's purpose? You know, um, Moses asks when he gets contacted by God, he says, Me anochi, who am I? And I've spent 68 years trying to find the answer to that question. And I realize now that the answer is not who am I, it's who are we. I was asking the wrong question. Hmm. Again, Stuart, I thank you so much, Dr. Stuart Shanker, for joining us. The, the, uh, the title of the book, once again, Reframed, and we hope that you will uh, go to his website and pick up a copy of Reframed, and it has to do with self-reg for a just society. And again, I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.